Crest in the Afternoon is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. from the studios of Ave Maria Radio in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Al Cresta is ready for conversations of consequence. This is Cresta in the Afternoon. Once again, it's great to be with you. And we've got a number of wonderful topics before us today. Uh, what is beauty? And why do we need it? Uh, John Mark Miravalli joining me to take a look at beauty. Beauty is gotten a lot more attention from Catholic theologians over the last generation, partially because of the work of Hans-Urs von Balthasar. But I think people have finally recognized that, look, when we talk about beauty, we talk about truth, goodness, and beauty, well, we're pretty good in doing our theology and our apologetics, focusing on truth, and we're pretty good at focusing on goodness and virtue and what human beings um, have to achieve morally. But we haven't spent a lot of time talking about the significance of beauty in our lives. Uh, many people, when they think of beauty, think of it simply as, well, you know, I like that song, or I like that painting. Uh, beauty is much much broader than that. And uh, John Mark is going to share with us uh, why this is an important topic for Catholics today. We talk often about uh, our hearts are restless until they find their satisfaction in God. And that's taken, of course, from St. Augustine's Confessions. And it is interesting to look around. You see people finding secular substitutes to fill the longing of the human heart. It could be career. It could be parenting. It could be technology. It could be politics. It could be uh, food. Uh, it could be romance. These are becoming secular substitutes for authentic faith. We're going to talk this over with David Zal, who's been looking at what he calls seculosity. Also coming up today, we'll talk with Dr. Greg Popcheck. How many parents think it's important to pass on the faith? A question asked recently by uh, the Pew organization. And it has a lot of impact on the kind of our expectations of how we should be seeing the next generation. Will we see a generation that's been shaped by the intense faith of their parents. And we'll also talking to Kevin Boast about the gifts of the Spirit and how they can help us uh, pass along the faith. But first, let's get to today's headlines. Thanks, Al. Good afternoon, everyone. This is your Ravi Maria Radio News for Tuesday, February 28th. It's the Feast of St. Auguste Chapdelaine. Today's news is brought to you by Ave Maria University. Your vocation location is at avimaria.edu. The Supreme Court is hearing arguments in a case challenging President Biden's student debt relief program brought on by two borrowers. Their assertion of arguments to support that claim that broadly attack this whole concept of loan forgiveness, I think, demonstrate that we're far afield from the equal protection case law. U.S. Solicitor General Elizabeth Prelogger claims the two plaintiffs have no legal standing to bring the case. She says that's because the borrowers who brought the case aren't seeking relief that could actually help them personally. The plaintiffs argued the Biden administration made arbitrary decisions about who would qualify for debt forgiveness and how much of their balance would be canceled. The high court heard a similar case challenging Biden's effort to cancel $400 billion in debt 
brought on by six Republican-led states. An American citizen is dead, killed in the West Bank amid violence between Palestinians and Israelis. It happened near Jericho Monday when a Palestinian gunman opened fire. State Department spokesman Ned Price said on Monday that the U.S. is extremely concerned by recent events in the region. We condemn the horrific killing of two Israeli brothers near Nablus and the killing today of an Israeli near Jericho, who we understand was also an American citizen. Hundreds of Israeli soldiers have been deployed to the area after escalating violence. A federal judge says Texas groups likely can't face charges for providing financial assistance to women that want to get an abortion. District Judge Robert Pittman ruling the abortion ban in Texas cannot be enforced against anyone that helped pay for the procedure outside of the state. The decision was made in a lawsuit filed by groups that wanted to ensure they could continue to fund travel and other abortion expenses without prosecution. From your Ave Maria Radio.net news desk, I'm Steve Clark. Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. Beauty is becoming uh, more and more a topic that uh, Christians and uh, Catholics in particular are thinking about uh, with a, with an eye towards ministry, evangelization, and of course aesthetics. Uh, what is beauty? Uh, again, we we think we know when we say the good, right? We think we know what we're talking about. When we talk about the truth, we think we know what we're talking about. But beauty, well, we don't know what to say about it. The language is more difficult. A lot of people think it's purely subjective. You know, beauty's in the eye of the beholder, that kind of thing. My guest, Dr. John Mark Maravalli, is Professor of Systematic and Moral Theology at Mount St. Mary's Seminary in Maryland. He's the author of three books, including most recently, Beauty, What It Is and Why It Matters. And he's debated noted atheists on topics such as the existence of God, same-sex marriage, uh, theistic morality. He and his wife, Jessica, have five children. And John Mark, it's good to have you with me. Thanks so much for letting me come on. Beauty is one of those things that is difficult to talk about, although most people think they know what it is when they see it. Uh, there's a widespread belief that beauty is purely subjective. What you think beautiful, I don't think is beautiful. So why don't we address that to begin with? From a Catholic point of view, is beauty purely subjective? No, it's not. And, you know, I don't think we should be surprised that in a culture that thinks often enough that truth is relative, and right. a culture that often, often enough thinks goodness is relative, that same culture should fall under the illusion that beauty is also relative. But from the traditional Catholic perspective, truth, beauty, and goodness are intrinsically equivalent. We experience reality differently, but all reality, since it comes from God, is in itself true, good, and beautiful. And so beauty would, by implication, be just as objective as truth and goodness. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there something, I guess, the I agree with you, but the question I would bring is bring up is in a conversation with somebody what would you propose as uh, an eye-opener when it comes to demonstrating the objective reality of beauty yeah I think one of the ideas connected with beauty that's very strong in the tradition is the idea of order yes that there's rec- recognizable patterns in beauty that beauty expresses a conformity. Basically, beauty is something being or acting the way it's supposed to, and that expresses intelligence. So if you look at nature, for instance, 
nature displays patterns. Those patterns, that regularity, expresses the intelligence of the one who made them. And so you can, you can find this sort of objective criterion for beauty by looking for order. Mm-hmm. Do things display regularity? Do they display their nature? But there's also this other aspect of beauty, which I do believe impacts people differently, and that's the aspect of wonder, of newness, of freshness, or as I call it in the book, of surprise. Hmm. I think mm-hmm. that our God is a God who makes all things new. He asks us to sing a new song to the Lord. Augustine calls uh, God the divine beauty that is ever ancient but also ever new. And I think that the appreciation of beauty, which people experience to different degrees, depends on them not only perceiving order, but allowing themselves to be surprised by it. And that takes discipline, because actually, you need to set aside time and availability to allow yourself to marvel at beautiful objects and beautiful truths and beautiful stories. So you you need to create some um, space uh, in time for you to sit still, is that and actually, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so, train your attention. Beauty, beauty involves the, the experience of beauty involves delighting in reality. Now, you can't delight in reality either if you're escaping from reality through busyness, or if you're escaping from reality through entertainment. And those are almost the only two states that most people in our society experience. They are either work binging or they're Netflix binging. And in both cases, they are not able to simply allow, as Keeper says, to allow the reality of things to provoke us to celebration. So, you know, just just to summarize, yeah, you got to create space. You got to sit back and appreciate the surprising goodness of, of the world and of the one who made it. Yeah, it's we do live in a culture of constant distraction. It seems to me, uh, and whether again you've mentioned through work or through entertainment, when Saint Paul in Romans chapter one talks about uh, uh, roughly, he says, since the creation of the world, his invisible uh, attributes have been clearly seen through what he's made, uh, but men don't offer gratitude for it. What they do is they suppress that truth in unrighteousness. What is the impulse within us that negates uh, this order, this beauty, uh, when we look at creation? Yeah, that's a great question. Let let me try a shot at it. Sure. Beauty demands, as I said, truth, goodness, beauty are all equivalent to being, and the being that God has made. Mm Mm-hmm. So, I would say that humility is the virtue of, first of all, accepting that our being is good, and therefore being able to, and, and so in a sense, we don't have to worry about that, right? We, 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 God, God delights in our being, because yes. if he didn't, we wouldn't exist. Right. Well, when, when we know that we delight God, that we are good just by existing, that reduces need to prove our value through getting stuff done. And only when we are willing to sort of put what we have to do as less important than what God has already done, will we accept reality as God made it. So 
basically, just to summarize, because we don't know that we are loved by God, mm-hmm. we are not able to accept His world. We are too busy through the sin of pride trying to, you know, make ourselves gods, make ourselves valuable, make ourselves established independently of divine love. And, and so I think that's a perpetual temptation, is to make ourselves great, uh, to, 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 make, to make our own value, because we, we are just unable to accept uh, the goodness that God has bestowed on us and the delight He takes in us just for being here. There's something wickedly ironic about that, isn't there? I mean, the the idea that uh, by trying to prove we should actually cut ourselves off from the very sources of life <laughs> that, that are screaming yeah. at us that we are worthy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's I, I describe it. You know, um, my kids. Uh, I probably shouldn't do this, but I let them play about an hour of video games once a month. Mm-hmm. And they are always, I have this curse of being better at video games than my kids. My parents were, were would, I would have never asked my parents for help playing video games. <laughs> so my kids will ask me for, for help playing video games, and then I'll, you know, I'll help them maybe beat a level or something. And they'll pray, you know, say, oh, thanks, Dad, thanks. Oh, can you beat the next guy? So I imagine, this is what I imagine. I imagine God, or a father, who represents God, taking his kid into a beautiful place cathedral, beautiful basilica with tapestries, with, with frescoes and with mosaics. And he says to his son, I built this for you because I love you. Do you like it? And the son is trying to play a game on his phone or something. <laughs> and he looks up, he says, yeah, dad, it's great. Could you help me beat this level? <laughs> and I would say that is the situation most of us are in most of the day. When we think of God, instead of looking up at everything he's given us because he loves us and just having the default attitude be, thank you, this is beautiful, we say, actually, I'm really anxious about this particular small little project or problem I have. Could you, could you fix it for me? <laughs> and so hopefully, hopefully bringing people back to a sense of beauty will, will ground their prayer in gratitude and delight for what God has already done, and not so much stress for what we still have yet to do. Did John Paul II uh, have much to say in his writings about beauty? He did, in different places. He wrote a letter to artists, which was marvelous. Uh, He talks about sort of this intrinsic connection between faith and art and faith and beauty. He points out that we need beauty like we need food and oxygen, and so artists are providing society with a service um, that is just as necessary to, to, to human well-being as any material good. Um, he also talked uh, about beauty and art in the theology of the body, particularly on uh, representing um, nude figures, mm-hmm. and when that was okay and when it wasn't. But I would say for me that the core, the core point he made, uh, at least that, that, that I found most valuable, is how art and religion need each other. Because when art stops being about the most sublime, important things, people stop paying attention to it. Which is, of course, what's happened in in the realm of fine arts, is it's gotten progressively weirder and weirder, uh, provocative without being profound, Mm -hmm. and nobody pays attention to it anymore. Right, right. Whereas, for instance, in the Middle Ages, when an artist would design and execute a masterpiece for a cathedral, 
all the people would come out and celebrate. Uh, there's a story in the book about uh, a case in Siena where Duccio made his maestà, and all of Siena shut down, and the whole city processed around and had a feast so they could install this image of Our Lady in the church. Well, now th- well. that's that's when art matters. Yeah, is when it connects us to the divine. I think it's interesting. It sounds like beauty surprises and ugliness shocks. That's exactly right. So I, I would say that modern life is also largely a temptation. If, if beauty, as I think it is, beauty is a combination of order and surprise, then you have two temptations. You have the temptation to order without surprise, and that's banality. That's mm-hmm. just repetitiveness mm-hmm. and being on automatic pilot. It's sort of the, the bad kind of traditionalism where you just do the same thing over right. and over without right. thinking of it. And then the other temptation is the temptation to surprise without order. And that, as you say, that's shock, that's chaos, that's perversion, that's uh, you know sexual fetishism. Uh, so you really have, it's really brutal because people will go to work and they'll often live banality order without surprise, and then they'll come home and they'll turn on a screen and they'll indulge in surprise without order, yeah. which is, you know, disordered uh, entertainment. That's fascinating, and uh, we're out of time today, but I'd like to give you a call back and uh, pick this theme up again, because there are a number That's of great. questions I have for you. You have a, you close the book talking about humor, which I think is fascinating, and also questions that I have about the idea of the chaste nude and uh, where that's placed in the Catholic tradition. John Mark, thanks so much. Thanks so much for having me on. God bless. Dr. John Mark Maravalli, Beauty, What It Is and Why It Matters. You are invited as Bishop Earl Boyer presides over the 25th Annual Rose Mass for Healthcare Workers, Saturday, March 18th at 4.30 at Christ the King in Ann Arbor. Afterwards, there'll be a dinner and discussion on the relationship between Catholic medicine, the media, and the impact on patients. Featuring Ave Maria Radio's Al Cresta and Father Peter Ryan. This takes place at Fox Hills Country Club near Plymouth. Go to cmalansing at gmail.com to purchase tickets. That's cmalansing at gmail.com. Resetting your password. Unsubscribing from emails. Printing anything. Why are simple things sometimes so complicated? Thankfully, with an auto owner's insurance independent agent, getting the right coverage for your business doesn't have to be one of them. So you can get back to more important things, like learning how that printer works. That's simple human sense. Call Choice Insurance Agency at 734-641-4200. As Christians, we are taught that what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And in Ephesians, it reads, No bad word should come from your mouth, but only what is good and edifying, that it may give grace to those who hear. If you want to have a clean mouth without having to use soap, start by cleansing the heart. Think back to those various points in life when the anger that festered inside eventually percolated up and right out of your mouth with words of hate for people who have hurt you, offended you, lied to you, used you, abused you, stole from you, or perhaps altered your life forever. When we hold on to the past, We cloud the love of Jesus Christ, and what emerges is the pain inflicted on us from mankind. If you find yourself cursing, spewing hateful words about others, or often negative about life, then close your mouth and open your heart. Fill it with the love of our Lord, and let His words emerge from your mouth. This has been a Christ-centered communication message. I'm Vanessa Danha Garmo, the communication evangelist. 
Passion with Teresa Tamio, weekdays on Ave Maria Radio. So when you see these different media outlets working directly in conjunction or conclusion with the government to suppress stories, what does that say to us about the reliability or lack thereof of the secular media? And then this is combined with a report that came out, a survey that was done on media executives. They interviewed 75 media leaders around the country, and they're saying, we're done with objectivity. Well, that's not exactly a news flash, but the fact that they're claiming that objectivity is just no longer necessary, and we are elitists, we know better, and this is what we're going to do, is frightening. And this is one of the reasons that we stress the importance of having outlets such as the Register and EW10 News Nightly and the World Over and Catholic News Agency and EW10 News In Depth. Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio, weekday mornings from 8 to 10 a.m. on Ave Maria Radio and AveMariaRadio.net. Are you woke or are you awake? Renewal Ministries and Ave Maria Radio invite you to spend an evening with Noelle Maring for her presentation, Awake, Not Woke. Noelle will look at the pseudo-religious as well as the political character of the woke movement. It's Tuesday, March 7th from 7 to 9.30 p.m. at Father Gabriel Richard High School in Ann Arbor. You can register for free in the slider at AveMariaRadio.net. Again, that's at AveMariaRadio.net. Stocks and bonds are losing, and interest rates are on the rise. Protect your savings with a fixed guaranteed rate of 5% with a multi-year guaranteed annuity from an A-rated insurance company. Regular savings as well as retirement funds are eligible for this special rate of 5%. For more info, contact Reno Frazita at 586-262-6400. That's 586-262-6400. Current rates subject to change and penalty for early withdrawal. to you. I'm Al Cresta. You know, we like to say uh, here that human beings may, are made in the image and likeness of God, and so inevitably they will uh, function in such a way that they project some kind of ultimate concern, uh, some kind of overarching understanding of life that may be very well thought out and very conscious, or maybe something that's just picked up like measles from the surrounding social atmosphere. Uh, and we also know that uh, we've seen more and more people leaving uh, organized religion. We've seen the rise of the uh, unaffiliated, uh, the so-called nuns, N-O-N-E-S. David Zal has pointed out that people may be leaving organized religion, but the marketplace in replacement religion is booming. He's the author of Seculosity. A great phrase. Seculosity, how career, parenting, technology, food, politics, and romance became our new religion and what to do about it. Uh, David uh, is the founder and director of Mockingbird Ministries, uh, editor-in-chief of the popular Mockingbird website, and co-host of the Mockingcast. He and his family live in Charlottesville, Virginia, where he also serves on the staff of Christ Episcopal Church. And uh, David, good to have you with me. Thanks. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Al. I appreciate it. Let's take the title of the book, uh, Seculosity. I don't think I've heard that word uh, before. <laughs> well, that's right. It was definitely something I put together. It's, a, it's simply a combination of the words secular and religiosity, mm -hmm. um, sort of a mashup in the way that people do today. 
But I wanted a word that could describe what, um, as someone who'd grown up in the church and going to church, uh, I was starting to feel like all sorts of everyday activities were, were beginning to function that way or mm-hmm. feel that way, but maybe not in the, not in the, not in the, without some of the positive things that church brought to my life. Sure. And so seculosity is really uh, my shorthand for religious uh, feeling or devotion that is uh, tar- aimed at like a, at a heavenly, or sorry, at an earthly rather than a heavenly target. Right, right. Uh, you know, I've been surprised uh, at seeing a number of books uh, published in the last well, 10, 10 years at least, uh, where men who are well known as uh, ideological atheists have had to start writing books uh, about religion for atheists. And there seems to be a recognition, even among those who reject the idea of a transcendent God, that human beings uh, do function best when they believe that there's some overarching transcendent reality or they try to find a certain uh, at-oneness with the world around them. Uh, is there a religious impulse here that even atheists have to recognize? I'm, I would say absolutely. Um, it, really, when you say someone is uh, religious, it really is the question is just how they're religious, not whether they are religious. Right, exactly. And um, I, that depends on how you define religion. Are you just talking about, you know, the big three, you know, Judaism and Christianity and Islam? Or are you talking about simply the... the um, you know the, the the overarching cosmology that someone has, or their, the way that they, the values that they hold, and in fact, what they're. I, I talk about religion as sort of your preferred guilt management system. <laughs> okay. Everyone, we're all walking around with a with just because we're human beings and we're stepping on each other's toes, and there's a degree of guilt and shame that comes along with being a human being, and what you do with that tends to be to function for you like a religion, a place where you're not only getting community and ritual and transcendence, but also uh, you know, maybe absolution or a place where you're going for enoughness. Sure. Righteous, righteousness is the real word for it. So, so uh, are we looking at here, you talk about career, parenting, technology, food, politics, and romance. Uh, using the old language, are these things becoming idols? I think I think they absolutely are. I mean, if if the more I think the older I live, or the longer I live, the um, older I get, uh, the more you realize that idolatry can describe a lot of things. It really kind of, if you drill down into it, my 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 aim with the book, though, because because um, that can be kind of a vague or almost off-putting word. Sure. Um, uh, I wanted to talk less about worship and more about self-justification. Mm-hmm. So the way that people. Um, are looking, are leaning on their diet or their parenting or their uh, voting to give them a sense of righteousness. So, so to make them feel like their their life is valuable, justified uh, in a way that I think is very similar to idolatry. And there's no like line in the sand at all. But I don't think we're worshiping, uh, you know, the voting booth uh, per se. Right. I think we're right. or or or. Um, our, we're not worshiping our children. We're worshiping the sense of righteousness that we receive when our children, you know, get all sorts of accolades or other parents treat us as though we are authorities in some way. You talk about performancism. Uh, tie that in here. 
Well, performancism is kind of a, it's just my, another kind of made-up word for the sense that there's no, or the notion that there's no distinction between uh, what you do or your resume and your, your identity, yourself. There's no distinction between how good you are at something and uh, your own essence, I guess. So the school you went to, the um, person you married, they're not just descriptive of you, they are you. And that can lead to, you know, that can lead to parents paying half a million dollars to get their kids into the school that, uh, yeah. you know, through the back door. Uh, because it's not just education that's at stake, it's identity that's at stake. So performancism is simply that there's no distinction. Because performance is a big part of who we are. Mm-hmm. But um, when there's no distinction, no sense, oh, I'm a child of God, as well as a father and a, you know, a friend and a brother, you know, a coworker. Uh, when there's no distinction between my accomplishments and myself, you get into some very ruthless and uh, confusing waters. I think what what we desire has much to do with who we understand ourselves to be, and it seems to me that a disciple of Jesus is more engaged in the hungering and thirsting. Uh, after uh, the kingdom of righteousness, uh, than he is even about knowing or believing. Uh, what's the relationship between what we desire and what we perform? Well, I think that they're deeply related because, uh, you know, the affectation or the, the, the orientation of a person's heart really does what is, you know, where your heart is, there your treasure, or yeah. where your treasure is, there your, your heart will also be. I, that's, you know, the words of Christ, and they're 100% true. So um, the desire tends to be, and whether or not it's just completely inborn or a nature of the fallout of sin or something that's inculcated by society, but our desire seems to be for other people to tell us we're enough and that we are good, that we are valuable, yeah. and uh, that is, and that has that, that ends up being a desire that's deeply self-oriented, um, rather than other-oriented, and I think a lot of people who, who follow Jesus, that there's really a sense in which you, you lose your life to save it, that you, you, you become of use to other people, and that's where you actually, uh, your desires tend to almost be extinguished, but met in, a, in, a, in an almost paradoxical way. And so we always talk about the importance of service, not necessarily because other people are dying for you to um, help them, though they are, but mainly because that's the way path towards healing and, and, and God. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You you talk about the seculosity of romance and the the myth of the soulmate or the myth of the twin flame or there's all kinds of words that are used to to imply that um, there's this one right person among the entire population of the earth that if we find ourselves matched up with this one person. Uh, somehow we will have attained uh, a kind of a romantic, uh, the romantic equivalent of heaven on earth. Mm. I, I mean, that is, I think, uh, what almost like the gospel according to Hollywood. And it's, it's not to deny that romance is thrilling and, and can be quite transcendent. Sure. But this idea, when, when you really get down to what people are looking for in a spouse today, it's, it, you know, not just to be their best friend and their 
their you know the co-parent and their person who provides for them and it you get to and fulfills their every emotional need and yeah. almost anticipates it that sounds more like a savior to me than yeah. an actual uh person to kind of go through life with and learn to love and um i well, think that, that that creates a lot of anxiety around dating and finding the right person as if only one person out there can do that or you can only be that person to one person so yes it puts an extraordinary burden on your spouse uh, oh my goodness! <laughs> you know, if that if your spouse is kind of your the the one who with who, the one who uh, relationship reflects back to you uh, whether things are all right or not, um, they can't meet. The, no human being can meet uh, that those deepest needs that we have for God, and I think Christians. As they, you know, idealize the family, they oftentimes, I, I think, do believe that when I get the right match, uh, uh, as uh, Adam had Eve, when I get the right match, kind of, I've got the future laid out for me. Things are going to be fine. Oh, I know. What, I mean, what's the great phrase from that movie, Jerry Maguire, from you know the '90s, which was "You complete me." <laughs> yes, that's, that's right. <laughs> That's a tall order for my wife. Yes. More importantly, I don't want to be the one to have to complete her right. <laughs> because I, I know what I'm like. Right. And right. Uh, maybe we can journey together towards uh, God and, and other people. But uh, gosh, heaven forbid that I would have to be completing her because she would be really in, in, in bad shape. Are we? Uh, I'm just wondering if this is a, uh, more of a problem for uh, people. Of this generation than it was to say two generations ago. Well, I think when it comes to romance, um, it was a lot easier to choose someone a good enough uh, mate when it was you know you were choosing between the people in your apartment building or your you know your your block, your city block, or your church, rather than a million billions of people online. Right. I think that that right. there is something that is paralyzing, genuinely paralyzing about that. I also think that the, the human desire for uh, completion and for the enoughness in, in, and, and to be loved, that, of course, is just uh, that's, uh, universal and, and timeless. David, hold it there if you will. We'll take a break and come back. My guest, David Zal, is author of a most engaging book called Seculosity, How Career, Parenting, Technology, Food, Politics, and Romance Became Our New Religion and What to Do About It. I'm Al Cresta. Be right back. Today's programming on 990 WDEO is brought to you in part by a gift from our day sponsor. The Cathedral Cultural Series of Detroit is sponsoring a study of G.K. Chesterton from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. on Monday, March 6th, at the Cathedral of the Most Blessed Sacrament in Detroit. Light snacks and a Zoom option are available. For more information and to register, visit cathedral.aod.org backslash event. Stocks and bonds are losing and interest rates are on the rise. Protect your savings with a fixed guaranteed rate of 5% with a multi-year guaranteed annuity from an A-rated insurance company. Regular savings as well as retirement funds are eligible for this special rate of 5%. For more info, contact Reno Frazita 
at 586-262-6400. That's 586-262-6400. Current rates subject to change and penalty for early withdrawal. And now, a meditation minute from Father Gabriel Richard High School. I'm Dominic, a senior, with a reflection on the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, verses 13 to 21. How many of us want to be rich? How many of us want to be able to live without worry of the future or how we will support ourselves? Can we really say that these are bad things to desire? Jesus warns us against covetousness, which is really idolatry, with the parable of the rich fool. We live in a time when the idealized approach to life is to ensure prosperity, to free ourselves for other things. Financial responsibility is important, St. Paul says so to the Romans, but we cannot let money become an end in itself. This is what Jesus warns us against. Life is unpredictable, and nothing we can do can prepare us for every possibility. If that becomes our goal, what happens to faith? No matter what we do, we must be rich in what matters to God. This Meditation Minute is brought to you by the students, faculty, and staff of Father Gabriel Richard High School. It's time for Family Man with Dr. Gregory Popcha. Want to get more out of family time? Well, here's a simple tip. Look for the differences that make a difference. Keep track of the times your family gets along better throughout the day and ask yourself, what made this work? Write down your answers in a family care notebook. Did you all work better together? Write down why. Did everyone get along on game night? Write down what worked. Was family prayer time especially good? Keep track of all the differences that make a difference in your family life. Then try to intentionally build those differences into your plans moving forward. Putting family time first and getting more out of your time together is one of the most important practices Catholic families can have. To discover more ways your family can celebrate the liturgy of domestic church life, check out the newest editions of Parenting with Grace and visit CatholicCounselors.com. I'm Dr. Greg Popchak, but you can call me Family Man. To discover more ways faith can enrich your life, visit CatholicCounselors.com. Ave Maria School of Law is the Roman Catholic law school in the United States. Consistently ranked in the Princeton Review as one of the best and most conservative law schools, as well as pre-law's most devout law school. Ave Maria School of Law provides a traditional legal education while emphasizing how the law intersects with the Catholic intellectual tradition and natural law philosophy. Ave Maria School of Law, unabashedly Catholic, consistently excellent. For more information, visit AveMariaLaw.edu. CMF Curo is a Catholic health care ministry providing families nationwide with a better solution centered around whole health, spirit, mind, and body. Our members share their medical burdens within a faith-filled community. At CMF Curo, our members have access to a spiritual director, concierge services, and other health and spiritual resources. Find out if CMF Curo is a better solution for your family. Visit MyCatholicHealthCare.com. That's MyCatholicHealthCare.com. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. With me, David Zal. He is author of Seculosity, How Career, Parenting, Technology, Food, Politics, and Romance Became Our New Religion and What to Do About It. David, do any one of these kind of dominate uh, more, a more enthralling replacement uh, religion than the others? That's an interesting question. I think romance is usually the first one we go to. Yeah. yeah. But um, today... If you were just to take a or to, to, to look around, I think you could see that um, careerism or the seculosity of work is a very, very strong, and, and it's kind of the ultimate um, 
arbiter of purpose and righteousness and even sort of salvation for young people especially. Um, and I think that then the, the secularity of politics, I think politics is we, we all know that the, the tribalism and the, um, the cult-likeness that you get, that you're starting to get by people not talking to each other. And um, I'd say those are very pronounced. But everything, you know, I talk about food being a kind of a replacement religion for folks and fit, wellness is a big one. Um, parenting, for it, but that sort of applies to a life stage and it's a little, little less broad, but anyone who's a young parent today knows that they're just bombarded by heresies yeah. <laughs> and, and condemnation that feels like you're, you're in a, a church with no mercy. Ha, has something broken down on our understanding of uh, the Christian faith that makes us more vulnerable to these replacement religions? Well, that's a good question. I, um, I, I think that the liturgical churches, like the Roman Catholic Church uh, and I, my church, um, we at least have the liturgy to kind of right. stick to, which is, which is wonderful. I think that popular religion or the kind of mainstream, I call it Jesus land in the book, yeah. I, think, I think it has been a little co-opted by the spirit of self-fulfillment. And um, especially, uh, it becomes church becomes another place to assert your righteousness or your enoughness, rather than the place you go uh, to receive it. Or as someone said, is church the place uh, you run to when you've messed up, or is it the place you run from? Huh. And um, you know, uh, we have sacraments like confession and absolution right. and and all these things. You know, without that, without that release valve. You know, you're, you're, I think the clergy, really, historically, for all of our, you know, the problems, and sure. we can all list that, they have really been, a friend of mine referred to them as your local forgiveness person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's and uh, what would it be like if, I, and I think it's certain, you catch glimpses of it for sure, but by and large, the church has a mammoth, the church, you know, universal has a mammoth PR problem. Yeah. Yeah, this is, I mean, and it's hard to know what changes that, right? I mean, within yeah. within Catholicism, for instance, uh, at, the clo- at the close of the millennium, the public face of the Catholic Church globally was Mother Teresa and John Paul II. You know? Right now, uh, we run the risk of it being a dirty old man in a Roman collar. Uh, so mo- perceived moral authority uh, on the part of church leaders is part of the problem here. Uh I guess, of course, the answer is always to produce saints, uh, towering figures that uh, are embodiments of love and forgiveness and uh, charity towards all. Uh, is there is there any way short of that that the churches can regain moral authority? Well, that, the, the, the climb back up to moral authority is going to be a very long one, but yeah. with God, anything is possible. Like yeah. I, I want to say that our hope really is in, is in God, right. and that God has not abandoned His church, and there have been moments, you know, periods of terrible, uh, you know, um, apostasy in the past, yep. and we're, 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 not, uh, we're, not, we're not without resource here. The Holy Spirit, you know, the, the, the church has, has been through rough times before, which is important for people to know. I also, but I think that with the way that technology works today, um, frankly, things can change very quickly, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for good and for bad. And uh, I don't know, I have, I have hope. I, I think that 
the um, things like uh, you know with the mass, there's 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 pauses, there's silence, there's it's so it's so countercultural when you right. really get down to it, and people are so harried and 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 distracted, and 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 they're really afflicted by that. I think a lot of people feel powerless to absent themselves from some of these patterns, but I believe that the the church is only going to get more countercultural. Uh, and, and that, I think that's actually a good thing. Um, the embodiment of it, you know, that you actually show up and you're sitting next to a human being, you're not <laughs> online. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. I think that, that those are, these are great things. And um, So I have, I have deep hope, but, but my hope is in God, not in uh, the systems that will seem to have been uh, co-opted by seculosity. You know, it is interesting, isn't it, that uh, at Mass, at Liturgy, there are these times of silence and pause, and you're with a, a group of people doing it. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think, where else do we do that? Uh, maybe at a classical music concert, uh, you expect some quiet uh, in between movements or something. But generally, when you've got a group of people together, somebody's usually poking us to, <laughs> to get us to feel something, you know, to, uh, to shout, to the make the noise. Manipulate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that's no, and in, and in the mass, you're not only silent for the purpose of being silent; you're there to receive. That's right. You know? Yeah, you come with open hands, and and it's um, and to confess and to uh, you know to hear again and receive the, the body and blood. So I think it's that is um, again the way that seculosity works is it seems to promise people peace, but it delivers more anxiety and more demand. It's like um, it's like uh, there, there's no. Um, it's merciless. There's there's no mechanism for any kind of uh, second chance or uh, uh, forgiveness. Right. So, as someone mm-hmm. told me the the internet is just like the real world, but with all the forgiveness vacuumed out of it. The <laughs> <laughs> uh, church could be that. Do you do you believe that? Um, I mean, po- politics is again an area that traditionally can work as a, an ersatz, quasi religion of sorts. Um, and and in some ways, our politics have taken on uh, the, the the tenor and have the polarizing uh, dimension of a religious war. And I think in, perhaps that's because for us, for for many Americans, politics is the ultimate thing. Uh, it is the way you identify with a particular community. It's the way you identify with a particular view of uh, w- the way the world is going. It's where you identify with what it means to be a good person. Uh, is, is yes, I, th- I think you have... Politics has, has become an, um, a real, uh, 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 an avenue for belonging Yeah. In, in a way that I'm not sure it always was. I remember you read studies about how um, you know, was, people used to be totally fine with their with their child marrying across the aisle, right. but not not with marrying a different you know religion. And right. today, uh, they're fine with you marrying a different religion, but heaven forbid <laughs> you marry <laughs> marry someone on the other political side. And that just goes to show you. I, I think sometimes people's politics leads their faith rather than their faith leads their politics. Right. Right. Um, but I believe you know the, I think the gospel and the New Testament and the church at its best has done all it can to break down barriers and say we're all children of God, but we're also all sinners, and, and we're all in need of forgiveness. And um, they, Right now we have an us-versus-them mentality mm-hmm. that is not really something you can find in 
in the you know magisterium or in the, right. in the great documents or thinkers of the church or even in Christ himself. Yeah. Uh, he just seemed to oppose self-righteousness, which has kind of become the, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's underlying the performancism. Yes, that's yes. That we're, um, I'm better than the guy next door. That's the most important thing for me to to be. Yeah, that's, I mean, I think this, your idea, uh, your focus on performancism is, is really good, because I do think most people feel as though they must do something in order to be valuable, and, uh, and that includes even performance before God, as though somehow we can, you know, justify ourselves, or, uh, or somehow we can obligate uh, God to give us so many units of grace, because we've generated so many units of faith. Or works. Uh, yeah, that is uh, very, very true. I, I, I wish it weren't the case that the, the human spirit does that, but we um, we want to we want to be in control, basically, yeah. and so we want to be the one telling God how much we deserve, and and we really um, have a hard time, you know, with re- receiving. And yet, that's also where the hope lies. And when people come to the end of themselves, when they really get in trouble, and they they don't really have much to bring to the table except for open hands. I believe that's where we uh, where we run into something like grace. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is I guess do you believe as you uh, you look over the, the Christian landscape of America, do you think we're at a moment where grace is becoming a more active force, uh, a more plausible uh, way of understanding our place in this world? I think yes, actually. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think as, as as various forms of you know parenting, career, technology, all these things I talk about in the book, as they become more and more merciless, and the treadmill gets faster yeah. and faster, the um, you can only go so fast. And uh, you're we're a creature, not a creator, and and really so. Um, eventually, the wheels fall off the bus, and people are more and more people seem to be coming to recognize that something about this modern life that we're living isn't really working. And um, where, what do we do with the fact that we don't seem to be perfectible in, in right. the way that, we, we, that maybe Madison Avenue promises? Um, so I do see I, see, I see becoming a premium. I just, I just pray and hope that uh, Christians around the world can, can really trumpet that message that God is the, the God of, uh, you know, the God of, of revealed in Jesus Christ mm-hmm. is, is the God uh, who forgives. And who actually loves uh, not perfect, not not the righteous, but uh, sinners, um, and is is there is there to you know to to meet you, and is not another place. You know, I think again when church becomes another place where you feel you have to be good enough, rather than the place you go when you've proved that you're not. That you're not. <laughs> that's good. Um, yeah. I think that that is is, and that's baked into uh, our faith uh, from the from its founder through its scriptures, through its early church fathers, through, you know, in almost every of its yes. expressions, if you really get down to what this is about, and you, um, you're you going to run into that um, that animating uh, idea and that animating truth, yeah. I would say. Over the years, I've done a fair amount of personal evangelism, and I actually pastored a church for a while, and I can't tell you how many people told me that they'd begin uh, returning to Sunday worship when they after they got their life together, <laughs> and, and but that's a perfect uh, entree uh, to present the gospel. 
uh, show them a different way. Uh, great talking with you, and I hope we can talk again. Thank you, Al. I so appreciate it. Great talking with you. David Zoll, Seculosity is the name of the book. I'm Al Cresta. Are you woke or are you awake? Renewal Ministries and Ave Maria Radio invite you to spend an evening with Noelle Maring for her presentation, Awake, Not Woke. Noelle will look at the pseudo-religious as well as the political character of the woke movement. It's Tuesday, March 7th from 7 to 9.30 p.m. at Father Gabriel Richard High School in Ann Arbor. You can register for free in the slider at AveMariaRadio.net. Again, that's at AveMariaRadio.net. I'm Chuck Gatica. This is Journey Strong. February is American Heart Month. Want to reduce hypertension or high blood pressure? Follow the DASH diet. According to my alma mater, Mayo Clinic, the DASH diet is a great way to reduce sodium and improve your health. According to Mayo, the DASH diet is lower in sodium than the usual American diet, which can include 3,400 milligrams of sodium per day. It's not uncommon to find one fast food cheeseburger with 500 to 1,000 milligrams of sodium alone. The diet limits sodium to about 2,300 milligrams or less per day. Following the plan can often show results like lower blood pressure and reduced LDL, the bad cholesterol, in as little as two weeks. This is all good for heart health, brain health, and the risk of stroke. For more on reducing sodium and what to eat, dash over to our health and wellness page at AveMariaRadio.net. I'm angry, frustrated. Sound like you? Someone you know? Well, it could be any of us from time to time. But there's different types of anger. It's not so cut and dry. Hi, everybody. I'm Dr. Ray. One thing is for sure, you don't need to suffer with anger frustration. In my book, Living Calm, Mastering Anger and Frustration, you'll learn whether your anger is a product of your nature or your nurture and how to regulate those emotions and those thoughts. You can get Living Calm and all my other books at AveMariaRadio.net. Thanks for being with me this hour, and let me remind you, as always, that you can have follow-up information available going to AveMariaRadio.net. Go to the Crested Guest Archives there. We'll have uh, the podcast is available. We also have the uh, follow-up materials, supplementary materials that we produce for most of the program segments. So you can follow up on our conversation with John Mark Miravalli on what is beauty, why do we need it, and also the conversation with David Zal on seculosity, how career, parenting, technology, food, politics, and romance have become the new religion and what we can do about it. Now, next hour, Dr. Greg Popchick joins me. As you know, he's director of the Pastoral Solutions Institute. A recent Pew survey found that only about a third of parents think it's very or extremely important that their kids grow up to share their religious beliefs. And another third say it's not important to them at all. Greg's going to share with us uh, why we're in this situation. For many of us, our faith is the most important thing we have to pass on to our kids. It's the, it's the center uh, around which we orbit. Um, it's the motivation for the way we live our lives. And so when our children don't embrace the faith, it's natural to ask, hmm, what, what went wrong here? 
what can I do in the future to make it possible for them to return uh, to full communion? So we're going to talk with Greg about that. And in a, in a related way, uh, Kevin Vost is going to share with us the gifts of the Spirit. These are the ones that are mentioned specifically in the prophet Isaiah's list. And why these seven gifts of the Holy Spirit are vital uh, in conducting spiritual warfare. Let me remind you, too, of uh, next week's talk uh, with Noel Mearing that's coming up. In Really, it's a, a, for all those in southeast Michigan, uh, northern Ohio, uh, Noel Mearing, the author of Awake, Not Woke, a Christian response to the cult of progressive ideology will be joining us at Father Gabriel Richard High School Tuesday, March 7th, 730 to 930. You can register at renewalministries.net slash noel. Stay with me. We've got another hour ahead of us.